It is uh, great to be back from our little vacation we had. Jenny and I were in Hawaii last week. It was rough, but someone's got to do it. Uh, our daughter is a teacher there, and so we were visiting her, and just happens to be in Hawaii, so it's all good. Uh, we are in our walk through the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. We're continuing with that. The whole idea of following Jesus in a fallen world. And today we're going to be talking about the dangers of the spiritual privileges that we have and the need of killing temptation, the need of, of starving sin. And we're going to be looking at those points through verses 1 through 13 of, of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. So I encourage you to take your Bible out and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles under the seats in front of you, and you can take one of those out and follow along. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. Last week in looking at chapter 9 and what we covered, Paul, Paul said something there in verse 27. He said, yeah, I, I beat my body and make it my slave. At least after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. You see, Paul was concerned about his life as a believer, and he's applying warnings that he's giving first to himself and then to them, the church in Corinth. And Paul was concerned that his own body, his own flesh, his own sinful nature would drag him off the path of Christ, off the path of holiness, with the result of him being disqualified from the prize of first and foremost being a faithful servant, a fruitful servant of Christ, but also just that fact of being disqualified for ministry. And what we see here is this great danger that lies in the midst of being a Christian. This great spiritual privilege that we have can lead to some things that are kind of dark and yucky. Complacency, pride, and of course that all is encompassing in sin. And so he's saying that about himself, and he's wanting to give that same warning to all Christians, all of us. We all need to take a look at ourselves, a look at our souls, and the great danger is that these spiritual privileges can lead to things like the complacency and pride. And, and God gives to sinners... Some pretty amazing privileges when you think about it. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. This blessing of His grace that Christians have. We as sinners, we deserve to be condemned eternally to hell for our sins. But instead, God, because He's rich in mercy, covered our sins with the blood of His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And furthermore, once we've come to forgiveness of sins, have you figured out that God is incredibly patient with us? He's patient with us day after day. He continues to forgive our sins. 
we confess them to him, but he always forgives. We, we sinners, we deserve to be excluded from the presence of God. There is not a person in this room that can walk up to me after the service and say, you know, I'm actually a pretty, pretty decent person and I don't need the blood of Christ. That would be called a, a works salvation and it doesn't work. We all deserve to be excluded. But God has reconciled us to himself and this is incredible. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. We are in his forever family. But here's the problem. We as sinners still have problems. We can waste our earthly lives and frivolous pursuits. We can kind of, as Scripture says, spend our whole lives storing up wood and hay and stubble. And what happens to that stuff at the end? It just <laughs> burns. I'm Mr. Sound Effect Guy today. But instead, God has richly blessed us, right, with spiritual gifts and has actually gone ahead of us and he's preparing in advance uh, these good works for us that we should walk in them. And, and beyond all of this that he's given us already, he's lavished so many other spiritual blessings on us. And I want to focus in here in just a minute or two, specifically in our American Christian church context. There is incredible spiritual resources here. We have, we have seminaries that teach true doctrine to, to pastors and people that will be serving in churches. That's an amazing blessing to have that. We have authors that, that write excellent books that help us in our Christian lives. We've got Christian media making sermons and, and podcasts and all these other resources available to us continuously. Friday night, for me, I, I love uh, on one of the music streaming services, they have uh, New Music Friday for Christian music. And I'm like, and if you ever wonder, like, all of a sudden there's a new song that shows up on a Sunday morning, it's from that. Ask Daniel. I'll text him at like 10 o'clock on Friday. New song, new song, it's awesome. We're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. Material blessings, ample food, clothing, shelter, common grace blessings, California is kind of a beautiful place. And the blessings go on and on. And it goes on in ministry as well. You know what's pretty neat about being in Los Angeles and doing ministry? There's a ton of people. There are ministry opportunities galore here. Lots of people who need to hear the gospel. So we are lavishly blessed, which actually means that we're living in the danger zone. 
You see, these blessings, the river of blessings that come to us by grace, they can make us complacent. They can make us lazy. They can actually uh, embolden us in sin. You know, Jesus said it himself, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And I'm just going to lay it flat out with you. We've been given much. Brothers and sisters of West Hills Church, we're blessed. Now here's the deal. Satan can use the blessings to lull us into complacency and arrogance and overconfidence. And we can relax our spiritual vigilance and we can start playing with sins and worldliness and little by little become corrupt and and become worldly ourselves and it's a devastating process and you need to hear me out on this because in 30 years of being in pastoral roles I have seen guys that I have thought were much godlier than me and much more gifted than me that have become disqualified in ministry and it's a devastating thing to see. I've seen churches bigger and more lavishly blessed than ours that have become corrupt. And eventually Christ removes the lampstand from that church. It's devastating. And all of that is what Paul is getting at here in chapter 10. And he gives a warning looking back at Israel's history of the privilege that they've had and the sin that happened. Look at verses 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses and the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ. It, you know, think about Israel. Have you ever, you know, I know many of you, we've talked about this in the past one-on-one -on -one sometimes. You sit there and you go, I just don't get how Israel could mess it up. They're delivered by God from Egypt as just like the Christian believer has been redeemed from sin. And Israel was identified with Moses really in their, what I would call their Red Sea baptism. Just as the Corinthians had been identified with Christ and their Christian baptism, Israel ate the manna from heaven, drank the water that God provided, just as Christians today nourish themselves on the sustenance, the spiritual sustenance that God supplies in His Word through the Spirit. But isn't it amazing, however, all of these things and these privileges that didn't prevent them from falling into sin. You see, there are dangers to maturity as well as immaturity, and one of them is overconfidence. When we think we are strong, we discover what? That we're weak. The 
The strong believer in this case in the Corinthian church may have been eating in the temple and finding himself struggling then with an enemy who is too strong for him. And Paul's not suggesting in verse 4 that there was an actual rock accompanying the Jewish people throughout the wilderness journey, just so you know. There were actually some Jewish rabbis that were teaching that idea. But it was this spiritual rock that supplied, supplied everything that they needed. And, the, and that rock was Christ. Sometimes water came from that rock. Other times from a well. God provided for them. And Paul simply sharing with them, hey, warning, danger sign, danger sign, everyone. Privileges are no guarantee of success. They're not. Let's continue on in verse 5. Because good beginnings do not guarantee good endings here. Nevertheless, verse 5, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Verse 8, nor let us act in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Verse 9, nor let us put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Verse 10 there, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have arrived. The Jewish people experienced God's miracles, yet they failed. And they failed when they were tested in the wilderness. And the experience that we have as believers has always got to be balanced with caution. We need to make sure that we never come to a place in our Christian walk where we think we're going to be free from temptation and potential failure. It is amazing to me when you think about all of the Jewish people, 20 years old and up, who were rescued from Egypt, all of them except 10 were bad and 2 were good, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. All of them. During their years of wandering. Look it up. Numbers 14, 26. And you could probably hear some people, probably hear some strong Corinthian church members asking, well, what does that have to do with us? And Paul points out that the Corinthian church was guilty of the same sins that the Jewish people committed. And because of their lust for evil things, 
The, the Corinthians were guilty of immorality. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 6. I, idolatry in 1 Corinthians 8. And murmuring against God, we see that actually in the next letter in 2 Corinthians 12. Like the nation of Israel, they were tempting God, really kind of daring Him to act. One thing we do know is that Paul knew his Old Testament. He had the best of all training, right? And his readers would recognize that uh, Paul knows what he's talking about with the Old Testament. The lusting found in Numbers 11.4, the idolatry in Exodus 32, the fornication in Numbers chapter 25, the Israelites often tempted God, but if you want to look later, Numbers 21, 4 through 6 was probably the reference Paul had in mind here. They, they had serious sin going on, and God has to judge that. Not only did some of these rebels immediately die, we're going to look at that pretty soon, but but those who remained were not permitted to enter the promised land. They were saved from Egypt, but were not privileged to claim the inheritance. Isn't that kind of awful? I'm, I'm saved from Egypt, but I don't claim the inheritance because I fall short. He wasn't suggesting that they were losing their salvation. He was afraid that some of the Corinthians would be castaways. Disapproved of God and, and unable to receive any reward. I, I heard about a pastor who gave a series of sermons on the sins of the saints. And one of the people in the church under conviction. Just so you know, sometimes when you're convicted by something, you kind of lash out on it. Well, this, this person disapproved of the series. It's like, I do not think you should be teaching about the sins of the saints. After all, this person said, Sin in the life of a Christian is different from sin in the life of an unsaved person. And the pastor said, yes, you are right. It is worse. Because we have a great privilege. We have been bought with a price. How dare us not live for him? See, sin in the church is actually far more serious because we have Israel's example to live from and we are living at the end of the ages, as it says there, to sin against the law is one thing, to sin against the grace of God through Christ. Ooh, boy. The law was meant to point to Christ. So we've got some responsibilities then, Paul lets us know about in verses 12 and 13. Dive back into 
the Scripture there. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. There's the warning, everyone. The warning to the self-confident. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. This probably is referring to, very specially referring to the strong believer who thinks they can dabble with some sort of self-gratification and not be affected by it. That person is in greatest danger of falling under the disciplinary hand of God. Let's get down into what those things are in our culture today. Perhaps it's the allure of internet pornography. It has never been easier to access that junk. And because of the smartphones that deliver it around the world 24-7, people get sucked in. Maybe, maybe it's in being enticed by the call of a prosperous life and material prosperity. And then you get enticed towards what? Materialism. Here's another one. Maybe it's an addiction to electronic games. I'm going to talk about this in a few moments, but we need to make all of these temptations and the sin that could happen out of them personal. And I'll explain how that looks in a moment. I think the explanation I came up with is pretty powerful if we play it out. But you've got all of these opportunities to sit around and entertain yourself with games and movies and YouTube videos and this and that and the other thing. And how many people at, start watching these reels or whatever they're called and look up and go, oh, I just spent four hours watching TV stuff. Might be some other habit, overeating, oversleeping, procrastination. Two words to help out. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch what you're doing and pray. You could be complaining. You think you're standing firm. You better watch lest you fall back into sin. And 
as verse 13 there makes it perfectly clear, this temptation is a worldwide experience. It's not something that we face alone. Have you ever caught people say, oh, I've got a sin that no one else has to deal with? That scripture says, thanks for playing, try again. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Paul adds, though, a marvelous word of encouragement for those who are tempted. He teaches that the testings, the trials, the temptations are common. And he teaches that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able. He does not promise to deliver us from temptation or testing, but he does promise to limit the intensity. He further promises to provide the way of escape. Did you catch that in there? Reading this verse, one cannot help but be struck by the tremendous comfort it has afforded Christians through the centuries. Think about young Christians, uh, young believers, a lifeline while they're going through the beginning of, of life is, as an adult. Maybe older believers that, that use it as a, a, a restful pillow looking on their years. I really think that obviously, based off the context of what we see here, Paul's readers were probably being fiercely tempted to go back into idolatry. And Paul's comfort with them is that God is not going to allow anything unbearable, any unbearable temptation to come your way. At the same time, you have to be warned that you can't expose yourself purposely to that temptation. And that's where the applications come in. So first of all, in our applications today, first of all, I need to say that to any of you who are not a Christian here today, you've been invited, you're here, you walked in, you're not yet a Christian, this text is not a text for you to fight temptation. This text is actually a call here to come to Christ because you cannot fight that temptation without Him. You cannot defeat sin apart from Jesus. And you've already fallen into temptation. You are already condemned. You're already under the law. Everyone has fallen short. The only hope for anyone is to flee to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for sinners like you, for sinners like me. We have all failed. And we need to flee to Christ. And His death on the cross is God's only provision for our guilt. His resurrection from the dead on the third day is His only provision for the energy and power by which we lead a holy life. So if you are not a Christian in here today, come to Christ. All you have to do is trust in Him. 
Turn away from temptations, away from your sins. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And if that happens to you, now the rest of the applications are in place. For those of us who are Christians, prepare for battle. Has anyone else in here figured out that it is not an easy journey to heaven? Prepare to suffer. Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Prepare to suffer when you are tempted. Think of what Jesus said to Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let me give you some specific elements of that. First of all, understand the eternal stakes of this battle, everyone. If you live according to the flesh, what happens? You die. But if you, by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you live. Eternity is at stake. And we're not saved by our sanctification. We're not saved by how well we fight. But if you don't fight, you were never justified. Secondly, we need to understand the mysterious partnership between us and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. It is by the Spirit alone you can fight temptation. Understand the partnership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you know what? And this is one in our culture. People hate this one now. Take some personal responsibility in your life. You, by the Spirit, have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. If you fail, it's not the Spirit's fault. You need to take some responsibility for your sins and for the temptations. You must be, uh, Daniel said it earlier, you must be mortified by sin. John Owen said it this way, cease not a day from this work, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Man, isn't that true? Fourth, we need to understand that this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. You are going to be in this fight from now until the day you die. Don't expect a day off. Don't expect it when you go on vacation. The world keeps spinning. And that time off, guess what happens sometimes with that time off? Go back to that laziness part. And wandering eyes and wondering heart and wanting you to get all of that. There's no day off from this spiritual fight that we're in. It's, it's a marathon. We also need, fifth, we need to understand the role of Scripture. Remember how Jesus fought all of the temptations that went His way. All of the fight started with these words. It is written. 
How did Jesus fight temptation? God's Word. Saturate your mind in Scripture. Memorize specific Scriptures that help in weak areas. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. We need to be giving the Holy Spirit in our lives that flashing sword with with which to fight the specific sins that are going on in our lives and temptation. We need to kill the temptation by being full of Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the joy of the Lord. Be filled with the fact that you are going to heaven. Be filled with all of the great gifts that God has given you. It's very hard to tempt full people. And I alluded to this one a little earlier. Make sin personal with Christ. And what that means, as I was thinking about it this week, is understand that Jesus is behind all of the spiritual laws. The moral laws, the call to sexual purity, the call to mental purity. Jesus is behind every single one of them. And what I mean by that is when Peter fell into temptation of denying Jesus three times, the rooster crows, and in Luke's gospel, just at that moment, what happens? Jesus was passing by and he looked Peter right in the eyes. And I would bet that Peter would say at the end of his life, that was the most painful moment of my life. When Jesus looked me right in the eyes, right after that rooster crowed. What did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. And then after the resurrection, Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Man, it had to be painful because that was part of the restoration process going on. Oh, looking Jesus in the eyes. You all know that we're doing, going to do the same thing, right? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we're going to have to give Jesus an account for everything we did in the body, whether good or bad. Oh, we'll be saved, but realize that now. Make it very personal between you and Jesus Jesus, I don't want to fail you. I want to please you today. Fill me with your spirit. If you've been counting, I'm on number eight now. Accountability. Accountability in God's one plan for accountability. You know what his one plan is? The church. A healthy church. And if you're visiting today, if you're 
not a member of a healthy church. I actually know a healthy church that I would recommend to you. Here. But that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. One last one. You ready for it? I hope so. Saturate your mind with the fact that you're going to be in heaven someday. And you won't sin at all. You have run the race and you have received the prize. Someday, all of the sins that you struggle with will lie dead at your feet. So rejoice. Rejoice in that now. Trust in that now for the glory of God. Live for Him now. Put those sins to death now and rejoice that you are going to be in heaven someday. Amen? Close with me in prayer.